you do this morning, let's turn uh, to the book of Matthew, and today we're looking at Matthew 9, uh, 24 to 30, I'm sorry, 27 to 34, Matthew 9, 27 to 34. Well, let me begin uh, by introducing uh, our text. Uh, We just had a prayer about God healing somebody. We've talked about that. But I would guess that many of you have, and if you haven't, then you're one of the fortunate ones right now, uh, had a fair amount of experience with some surgical procedures. Some people in here have had a lot. Some people maybe have had none. I don't know. I've had a few. My most extensive one was when years ago, about 20 Oh, probably maybe even 30 years ago, I donated my uh, left kidney to my sister, and she has since passed away, but uh, that was up in Connecticut, and I spent a few days in the hospital uh, and then was up there for about a month uh, to recover, and sometimes surgeries take a lot of time, and it can be an extended period of time. I remember that uh, when I went in for the kidney operation, uh, they wanted me to go visit this young man who was also donating a kidney, and he was a bodybuilder. And when I went in there, this guy, he, he filled the bed, and it was all muscle. I mean, you know, all the nurses, the young ones were oohing and on over him. What a, what a great physical specimen that he was and everything. And, and I was asking him, you know, uh, how are you doing uh, facing this? Oh, I'm great, man. I'm fine. You know, it's like talking to somebody in the gym, you know, and they just finished uh, working on their quads or something like that. But anyway, uh, he's telling me all this stuff. And he had his surgery, and I had mine a day later. And uh, he, he uh, came to visit me and said, hey, it's all right, everything's great, and, you know, no problem, in a wheelchair. And I thought, man, if this guy, everybody's saying he's going to get out of here really quick, and he's going to, because of his physical condition, and that made me feel worse because I uh, wasn't the best physical condition. But anyway, um, the bodybuilder has given me encouragement, and I'm hearing about how, how good he's going to do. But in reality, I left the hospital one day before he did because things didn't go so well for him. And there was other issues going on. So it really doesn't matter uh, if you're a bodybuilder or not. uh, Things can go differently. And if I remember right, uh, just to give you a rundown here, I've had two knee surgeries in my life. I've had a deviated septum repaired. I had uh, five hernias repaired not long ago, uh, all at once. Uh, The kidney transplant. I had a gallbladder removed before we went to Mexico. That was a mistake as well. Uh, I mean, that I went so soon because I was hurting down there. I had a benign cyst removed from my prostate in my early 20s. I was so thankful it wasn't malignant, but it was benign. And I was headed for another surgery, but decided not to do it uh, years ago after a skiing accident with a youth group. I just felt like it was smarter for me to say, we need someone younger to take the youth group skiing. It's not me. So reading today's passage, which we're going to do in just a minute, kind of makes you envious of people that God just heals, and that's the end of the problem. Uh, Do you know how miraculous and how fast healing was for Jesus? I like this video clip. He's been very busy, and this shows a guy that seems to be very, uh, he looked to me like he was exhausted, and I think that's the way Jesus really was most of the time, but he still took the time to help these guys and heal them. Uh, what's it like to have a miracle performed on you? Well, let, let me tell you what doesn't happen. There's, there's no exams with the medical staff at all, no evaluations. There's no consults with specialists somewhere or with experts. There's no tests that go on. There's no x-rays. There's no uh, MRIs. There's no PET scans. 
There's no radiologist reading reports. There's no multiple appointments. There's no surgery time. There's no recovery time. There's no therapy. There's no medications. There's no painkillers. There's no bills. And my favorite, then there's no chicken soup. <laughs> All those things, and, and we have to go through those things if we want to get help today. It's the way, uh, the way it works. But these guys basically just said, Lord, I can't see. Lord, we, we need our eyesight. And Jesus basically said to them in the exam, do you believe that I can heal you? And they said, yes. And so the Lord touches the men's eyes and they miraculously can see right away without any complications, without any therapy, without any medicine or follow-ups. And Jesus basically, though he was worried, would just say, okay, who's next? And there was plenty of people in his day who were always waiting in line. Well, this is the account in Matthew 9, 27 to 34. So let's read it. And I'm starting in uh, verse 27 with the New American Standard. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men were following him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now that, that's a special way to address Jesus. It means they know a lot theologically about the master. He's not just anybody. This is a term that would probably indicate that somebody believes he's the Messiah. And that's going to be an issue later. Verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. In other words, what I just did here. But they went out, like everybody else has done, and they spread the news about him throughout the land. How do you keep something like that quiet? Well, apparently you don't. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man, we would say demonized from the text, was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. So there's a correlation between this guy being demonized and the fact that he couldn't speak. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Now, if you're going to say that, you need to understand that something should follow that. It's not just enough to say, wow, we, we see the wow factor here today. This is amazing. Uh, you know, let's go eat lunch. Something should follow like faith. But here's what happened in verse 34. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Now, this isn't the first time they're going to say that. He casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And that is basically saying that Jesus is of the devil, and he's working for the devil, and he certainly isn't the Messiah, and he is not God. Well, uh, the blind men, they would beg to differ with these uh, religious leaders. Well, uh, if you're following along in your notes in the bulletin, uh, point one, verses 27 to 31, uh, is about this. As they believe, and I'm talking about the blind men, Jesus healed two men of their blindness. Now, there's a lot I can say about that phrase, but I want to narrow it down today and uh, talk this way. Because uh, there's other subjects that could be, could be broached here, but I'm not going to broach those. In this chapter alone, Jesus has healed a paralytic, uh, where the scribes then called Jesus a blasphemer, but the crowd was awestruck like they are here. He has called a tax collector to be his disciple, Matthew, passively on his way to this house to uh, work on somebody else. Passively, a woman is healed of a 12-year hemorrhage 
of bleeding while he was on his way to raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead. And this is probably where these blind guys are going to meet Jesus in the house, in this man's house. And he's, he's on his way to raise her from the dead. He's still in Capernaum, all right, his, what he would call his hometown. And he casts out a demon making, that was making a man mute. He taught in the synagogues, and he healed every kind of sickness and disease. Okay, that's, that's just maybe a day or two of Jesus' life. What's on your resume? You know, uh, Jesus does this kind of stuff all the time. And people should notice that he's doing this stuff all the time. And all the while, having great compassion for the people whom he was uh, seeing as sheep who didn't have a shepherd. Now, we should be asking two things. Why is he spending so much time healing people physically? Is that what Jesus is all about? The answer is no, that is not what Jesus is all about. In fact, Jesus is only healing people physically because he wants them to see that he is capable of healing in a completely different way and a way that is more lasting. But why is he spending so much time healing the sick? And number two, how does he keep going despite all the trouble people make for him as he is doing his father's will? The entire religious establishment is turning against him. They're saying nasty things about him that aren't true. And yet people are still following and people are still coming for his help. In our text today, we find Jesus leaving Jairus' house where he brought a little girl back to life. News is spreading about this all over the land. Now two blind men, in verse 27, are following him to another house. Uh, and uh, the point I want to make there is they're blind. How'd they do that? <laughs> do you think Jesus knew that these guys were blind? Do you think Jesus knew that they wanted help? And Jesus just continues on his way. These guys managed to follow him, but they're blind. I don't know if they asked somebody, hey, take us where he's going, or if they're just that good, they could hear the crowd, where the crowd's going. I don't know. It doesn't say. But they follow him. And they're calling out to Jesus. And I want you to notice that Jesus keeps walking. They're calling out, Jesus, we need your help. Jesus, heal us. He can hear them, but he keeps walking. I want you to notice that. They're yelling out, have, him, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, the son of David phrase is a messianic identification. In other words, these blind men believe, most likely because of what they're saying, that Jesus is the Messiah who is to be the son of David. And they're blind. I, you know, I don't know how much uh, they would pick out of a, a sermon or a message where somebody's using visual aids or somebody's using hand gestures. They're blind. Where did they get this stuff? Where have they been that they know that? But they do know it. Um, I think the point that is being made in the text is this. They are blind but are seeing the things that seers do not see. They're blind, but they're seeing the things the seeing didn't see. And I think that's the whole point. Jesus is making it difficult for them to get their healing. He could have stopped. He didn't. And they're still going after him. In verse 28, they follow him into a house, and they came up to him. They're blind. How did they do that? Uh, they didn't have the white walking canes that the blind have today, which amazes me how people can get around with those things. Uh, but they didn't have anything like that if somebody wasn't leading them. How did they know all this? How did they get to the right place? I don't know, but they did. And it really doesn't matter how. I just want you to see that it would be a struggle. It would be you have to put work into this to get where they're going. It's not a matter of how. It's a matter of why they did it. 
Why did they do it? Well, they persisted as blind men to follow Jesus, to find him in a house, and Jesus could have stopped anywhere along the way and helped them, but he didn't, and they know that. These guys have faith, and they proved it. These guys have faith, and they proved it. If you're blind and you're yelling out to Jesus, you know he's in the vicinity, but he's leaving, he's going somewhere else, would you stop? Would you say, well, he doesn't care about me? Would you say, well, I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. I give up. They prove that they have faith in Jesus. They didn't give up. These two are motivated. Well, they made it uh, into the clinic, if you want to call it that, and they pressed through the waiting room to see the great physician immediately. Now we come to the exam of the patients in verse 28. The great physician does not ask one single question pertaining to their biological malady that they both have. They're both blind. He didn't say something like, uh, were, you, were you messing around with a pencil and you bounced it and got in your eye, or what were you doing? He didn't ask anything about it. He didn't even ask him, what's wrong with you? It's obvious to Jesus what was wrong. And you really can't call that an exam, can you? Instead, Jesus asked them a question about their faith and their belief system. Okay, I'm, I'm here to get healed with my eyes, Lord, and you're asking me about, do I believe? That's a faith issue. And by the way, that's the most important issue in anyone's healing. Instead, Jesus is asking about what they believe. And here's his only question in the exam. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? End of exam. And they both gave an emphatic, yes, Lord, we both believe, we do believe. And they've already proven their resolve in the healing abilities of Jesus in faith in Jesus because of what they've just been through. It hasn't been easy. Jesus did not say, well, here's what I need you to do. Make an appointment with the disciples for a pre-miracle checkup, and I will put you down for a month and a half from now, and I'll heal you then. None of that happened. Now, is that different than what I did in any of my former procedures uh, through our human system, which we're very thankful for? How different is it? Can you imagine a miracle healing? Can you imagine that? What Jesus did, you, you, you stumble in a blind person, and we just say, yeah, we believe, and Jesus touches you, and it's, it's all over. Everything is fantastic. And how about this? The first thing they saw when they opened their eyes was the, was the master. Great. In verse 29, Jesus simply tells them, it will be done as you have believed. Now, that's where we could go off on a lot of other issues, but I just want to leave it with that. The way you believed, it has been done. And he touches their eyes, and immediately they see. The healing was instantaneous. It yielded perfect results, no issues there, and the results lasted. Uh, they didn't go out, and a month later, they were blind again. It's, it's over, the whole thing. Thank you, Jesus. It's miraculous, and that's what miracles are like. Why did Jesus mention their faith? Matthew wants us to ask that question, the way he constructed this account. Why did Jesus mention their faith? This is so that all the glory for what has happened went straight to the Father, which is where it should be, but it is also the issue of dealing with Jesus. It's how Jesus wants you to come to him. It's how Jesus wants you to respond to him. Do you have faith?
They were both healed instantly in verse 30. Then Jesus sternly warned them to see to it that nobody knows about this. Why does Jesus keep telling people, don't tell anybody about what I've done for you? Obviously, if you saw somebody go into a house and they were blind, all of a sudden they're walking out, it's obvious they can see. That, that's, that's a proclamation right there, but these guys would not keep it a secret. So scholars have postulated <coughs> guesses as to why Jesus kept telling people not to tell anybody. Number one is uh, they feel like Jesus wanted to keep the messianic secret. Uh, at this time, he didn't want that revealed. They've already said something messianic, so maybe he said, you know, you two guys especially, don't, don't tell people about this. You're on to me. You know who I am. I don't know. Secondly, some say it is to delay unnecessary hostility. In other words, Jesus isn't looking for a fight with a religious leader, so let's keep this hush-hush. I added one that is not, other people would, would share this as well. It's not, it's not new with me, but uh, probably to push people away from trying to make him the Messiah King in a way that God didn't ordain, like through the cross, or trying to keep people from making him the king by force, and they don't understand what kind of a king that he is. So they're probably, Jesus is probably trying to make them uh, not, not push for making him king before his appointed time by the Father in a way that God the Father has not planned. And it's maybe all three of those things. I don't know. The Lord doesn't tell us. Well, maybe he said it to these two because they were already pushing the idea that he's the Messiah. They've been yelling that out in the crowd. Jesus does this a number of times to certain people. But there is not a single instance where they keep their mouth shut. They all go out and tell. And there's no consistent common denominator between these people as to why Jesus tells them not to tell. But he does. In verse 31, these men immediately went out and did exactly what Jesus said not to do. And they spread the news throughout the land. And, uh, of course, God worked that out in his sovereignty to bring Jesus to the cross at just the time he had planned in eternity past. Now there's a change that takes place in our text with a different person in verse 32 to 34. We learned there that we must not credit Jesus' ministry to the power of Satan. As they were going out, it says in verse 32, a mute, demonized man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, and other times it tells us what Jesus did and how he talked to the demons and all that. This time it just says uh, he cast him out. So that's all we know about it. And when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed, and they were saying, nothing like this has ever happened before in Israel. And God wants you to be more than just amazed at him. It's not good enough just to be wowed by him. So let's look at this in verse 32. As the seeing men left that place, and in my New American Standard, regretfully, they left out the Greek word for behold, because God uses the word behold in the text to say, hey, stop and pay attention here, would you? Listen to this. Here's something that God is doing you need to know about. So in the, in the Greek, it literally says behold. Some people brought a mute, uh, demonized man to Jesus to be healed. So the Greek word can also mean death. However, uh, the result of the healing would mitigate against that. It's got to be the, the mute part of that because it doesn't say anything about him not being able to hear. And when he's healed, they say he can talk. And that's what we're talking about here. So here Jesus deals with a physical problem. He's mute. 
that is caused by a demonic presence in the man. Now, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about this, okay? And we'll talk about that here in a second. In verse 33, no details about how he expelled the demon out of the man, but he's Jesus. He has authority. And Jesus is clearly doing the things the Old Testament said Messiah would do in his ministry. Let's look at that. I think we've looked at it before. Let's look at Isaiah 35, the predictions hundreds of years before Christ of what the Messiah was going to be like and what he's going to do. And the whole point is uh, Jesus, as we say, fits the bill perfectly in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute will, be, will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, we went from the time of Jesus to the millennial kingdom in that one last verse, last half, which is yet to be fulfilled. But Jesus is doing what Isaiah was told to tell people the Messiah would do. That's important. Well, by the command of Jesus, the demon exited the man's physical body. The immediate result was that the man could talk again. So there's a connection. You see, in life, there are some physical problems like sickness, disabilities, issues of attenuated cognition uh, that are caused by demons and lots of other things. That is true. It is a reality. There's lots of things that are caused by uh, the spiritual enemies of our souls. But certainly, please listen, not all of these issues are always caused demonically. Remember that. Not all problems that a person has are because of a result of sin in their life. Okay, so I wouldn't look at my cousin in the Denver hospital today and say, well, he's there because a demon attacked him or he's there because he's been in sin lately. I don't know that. I don't know any of that. If something presents itself, then yeah, you would deal with that. But uh, it's not always that way. We get sick because we have a fallen, sinful human nature and a fallen body. And sin in the world means there's sickness in the world. And that's sometimes all the explanation that we need. Uh, there's a body that's going to die. It's not going to live forever. We need a new body, all those issues. So be careful about that. But many, so having said that, but many, and that is uh, why it must be at least be considered uh, in the diagnosis of problems, especially where there is no physical presentations, here there is a physical presentation, that some of this may be demonic. And I've seen it in hospitals many times. I've seen it outside of hospitals many times. I've seen people, when I'm expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sit in our sanctuary, and they get this dull look on their face, they get glassy-eyed, and they start smirking at the gospel. That's an enemy present, and they don't want them to hear the gospel. And it happens a lot. Today, since we are not Jesus, so hear this, we do not have the authority to remove a demon from another person unless he or she has taken back the ground that that demon has and has claimed in their life. That's what Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 is all about. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and thereby give a room or a place to the devil. That was written to Christians. Believe it. The only other way that you can have uh, spiritual power over an enemy in someone else's life is unless they are an underage child, we're talking about before the age of accountability, so they can't do it themselves, we have authority then, 
or they are a person who is not mentally capable of doing it themselves. I had a man who had a, a, a sibling or a son or a daughter, I don't want to be too clear here, uh, in, in their home and she was starting to get nasty. She had all kinds of mental issues. She didn't know what she's doing and she was getting nastier and nastier and biting and scratching and clawing, clawing. and so he got the courage to come ask me, we've tried everything, do you think that could be an enemy? I said, of, of course, it, it sounds exactly like an enemy. So I gave him a command to use for that person and he did it and it all just went away. So some of it is because of this. This, in, in Jesus' day here, was that issue. The man's mute condition was directly caused by the evil spirit for whatever reason. So the issue is, having learned a few things, the issue is uh, the crowds, no secret to Messiahship going on here, are amazed that should lead to belief. But there's not a lot of indication that that happened here because all it says is that they saw this stuff and they were amazed. And all they could say was, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel before. Well, maybe that should get your attention. This is all new stuff. No one's ever done this. Maybe you ought to take a second look. And they witnessed that they did not see the truth that is in Israel. And in great contrast, even to their amazement, is the response of the Pharisees when they start lipping off about what Jesus just did. In, verse nine, in chapter 9, verse 2, they called him a blasphemer because he forgave somebody's sins. And now they say that he's using the power of Satan, the ruler of demons, to cast out demons. Now, in another place in chapter 12, and of course we'll get to that one of these days, if the Lord tarries. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus explains, because they, they do the same thing, say, well, he's casting out demons by by the power of Satan in Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, hey, this man casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city whose house is divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? Jesus reasons with them. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, your sons will be your judges. And he means at the judgment at the end of their life. But I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. If I do, then uh, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter a strong man's house? He's talking about Satan. And carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man. The answer is you can't. And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven the people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Now when we get to that, we're going to look at that closely and make sure we understand what that means. For now, I want to leave it right there. Not every miracle that we see, and this is a caveat to everything we've said, uh, it's, a, it's a safety valve. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. 
Jesus said, look, I told you before it happened. Not every miracle is of God. We need to test the spirits. We need to make sure it's in line with the word of God and not believe everything we see. But when they see Jesus doing messianic things over and over and over again, and no one can stop him, they, they should have understood this is real. So I want us to learn uh, these things this morning. Number one, we're talking about applications here, okay? Uh, they're at the end of your uh, bulletin situation. Number one, Jesus did everything that the Old Testament required of him. Over 365 predictions in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. The mathematical possibility of that is impossible, and yet Jesus did it. There's something special about him. Well, yeah, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. Secondly, Jesus proved his ability to heal us both physically and spiritually. But the spiritual healing is what Jesus is all about. He heals people physically to prove he can heal them spiritually. So let me ask um, what he asked the blind men. Do you believe that Jesus is able to heal you? And I don't mean in a sense like Craig out there needing a physical healing. I mean, is he able to heal you spiritually? I put out another plea for the gospel on my Facebook page this week, and uh, it's, it's uh, got a, quite a few hits. I hope people are trusting Christ as their Savior. If you have a chance to share that, do it. Let's get the word out. But the point is, when you read that or you hear it, do you believe Jesus can do what he said he can do? If you haven't, then you need to ask him today and not let another day go by. Because you never know when you're not going to have a chance anymore. You never know when something could happen to you. I'm sure my cousin didn't think that night when he went to bed he wouldn't be able to get out of bed under his own power and had to go in an ambulance, and who knows if he'll make it. I know he's a believer. Are you? Have you believed Jesus for your spiritual healing? It's simple because he made it simple. You simply admit to Jesus, and you can do that in your head, I am a sinner. Lord, I know that I cannot pay for my own sins. I believe you paid for my sins in my place on the cross. And you said, if I believe that, you will heal me spiritually and give me eternal life. If you haven't done that, uh, you can do that right now in your head. Jesus can hear you and make sure you know you're going to heaven when you die. There's only one way, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Not around him, not over him or under him, but through him. There's only one person, one name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're going to turn our uh, focus to our Lord's Supper. If you didn't get uh, a communion cup here thing, uh, raise your hand if you want one and one of our deaconesses will make sure you have it. And if just by way of housekeeping, if you could take yours and throw it away in the trash can outside the doors, that'd be great. This all started with us trying to stop from spreading more germs than what we had to. So I think we kind of like it. So anyway.